Hi, Sarah here. I'm one of the co-hosts of Female Founders Weekly, and this episode is sponsored by my company, Hostel Pass. Hostel Pass is a digital discount card for the best of European travel, especially the best hostels. I started this company after my own travels, where I was on a really tight budget, which meant I ended up in some pretty horrible accommodation situations. That's why I spent the next six years finding and partnering with the best hostels all across Europe, the kinds of places that travelers and their parents would feel good about. We've now got hundreds of hostels on our platform and we've managed to secure exclusive discounts and bonuses like free welcome drink, late checkout, or free breakfast at every single hostel. We don't just have hostels on Hostel Pass. You can also find discounts on museums, walking tours, river cruises, food tours, e-sims, and so much more. If you're looking to join the thousands of travelers using Hostel Pass to save big on their trip, use code FFW at checkout to take 20% off your first year of membership. Check us out at hostelpass.co. That's H-O-S-T-E-L-P-A-S-S dot C-O. And code FFW for 20% off at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Plotherow. And today with us, we have Lucy Wolfenden. She's going to give us a masterclass on growth marketing and marketing in those really early stages of your startup. Lucy's a growth marketer herself with over 18 years of experience and she's worked with brands all the way through from helping them launch, growing their audiences initially and crucially helping them take those steps towards becoming profitable. Her CV includes working with some amazing companies like Yolt, Starling Bank, Skype and many many more and we're really excited to have her on today. Sarah I believe you already know Lucy. Yeah, I personally worked with Lucy before. I was part of the Scale Up Collective in one of her amazing cohorts where I gained invaluable skills to help my business grow and I met some amazing people along the way. So today Lucy is here to talk to us about that part of getting your business from 100 to 1,000 sales and we're so happy to have her. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We wanted to set the scene for what you're going to be talking about, which is a founder who hasn't been through this before. They've created their product. They've launched. They might have got some initial sales. So, for example, friends and family, or they've emailed their waiting list customers, and they've got some initial traction. It's really exciting moment to kind of put your product out into the world, but where do you go from there? How do you go from your first 100 sales to your first 1000 sales and really capitalize on that initial momentum? So Lucy, where do we start? So I think what's really important is to really understand what you need to focus on. None of us at the very beginning have huge teams and huge budgets to look at every part of that journey. So it's really mapping out the life cycle funnel. What that basically means is going from the first time that a potential customer touches your product all the way through to them, buying your product, being a repeat customer, and actually being a referrer, being an advocate for you. Map out each of those stages. In general, we try and keep it to say five. So it could be seize one of your social posts. They go onto your website. They might sign up for something they might then actually try the product maybe purchase it then they might read more of your newsletters enjoy the product see something else they'll become an advocate but which part of that journey are you doing well and which part do you need that support for most people at this stage there's one part that's really 
failing. Either the people that do know you love you, but there's just not many of you, or you're talking to lots of people and getting great initial feedback, but nobody's actually converting. So understanding which is that key focus in the first place will really help you to say, okay, for the next quarter, let's just focus on driving this one metric. What you can then do is really start to understand which part of that journey actually is your North Star. And what we mean by your North Star is, what is it that makes people stick? For Facebook, it was about the amount of times people would come back on an hourly basis. For WhatsApp, it's the amount of conversations you were in per day. So thinking about what it is that really makes people stick to your product and keep coming back and make you an advocate. And that's when you can really think about how to scale. Lucy, that's so interesting. Quite often businesses or founders set up that process, that kind of life cycle for the customer, and then they don't look at it again and they don't touch (laughs) it and they don't analyze it. So I think that's super important. I think it would be really useful to walk through an example of a company laying out those measurable tasks for their first 100 to 1000 sales. So what are a few examples of those metrics that you would recommend founders going for? I think if you're looking at that sort of life cycle for an e-commerce brand, the first one would be that someone probably visits your site, but they don't complete a purchase. So you'd see that on your website visits on Google Analytics. It could also be that someone follows you on social, but hasn't purchased yet. You know, so they're aware of you. They've they've had a touch point with your brand. So I'd measure it with website visits or social following. The next one would be they might have signed up for your newsletter or they might have started that purchase, but they haven't completed it. You know, they've left something in the basket and gone away, but you have some of their details. So you can either... You know, you can either email them and talk to them about it. You might be able to retarget them with with an ad that reminds them that they've got something in their basket. The next one is they've made that first purchase. So you know them, you know what they've bought, you know their email address. You probably know their home address if you've sent it to them. But how are you going to get them into using it more and buying more and talking about it more? You know, what is that? What is that step that you've taken and that, and that hook that you can start going from, okay, you've tried it once. Let's buy it however many times a year. We worked with a gifting website. Their target was three times a year. If someone sent a card through them three times a year, that was the average that they knew that they had had them as a long-term customer. So working out what that is, and we often call that the, the North Star metric, because it's really understanding what they have to do or what they're doing that you can measure that you know will keep them coming back so for example with your why not if someone's left it in the basket and they haven't completed it why not can you find that out without bombarding them and without being aggressive so that you can actually change that journey for the better great thanks what would you say for a founder who has potentially set up all those different touch points but they just feel like no one's listening We use a framework quite a lot called Jobs to be Done. And what that really is, is explaining why your customer might hire you. A really good example is McDonald's wanted to understand how they could sell more milkshakes. And this is in America. So what they looked at was actually that most milkshakes were bought as a sole purchase 
from a drive-through before 8.30 in the morning. And they realized that the job to be done, the job that the milkshake was doing, was offering a treat for somebody on their long commute while they're driving by themselves. And the reason it worked so well is that it's so thick that it took quite a long time to drink. And so they realized that's how they should be communicating. Whereas you might think that the milkshake being potentially ice cream was a dessert treat or something later in the afternoon actually it was a morning and for people that were by themselves so giving that information they were then able to really market that and get more people drinking them at that time of day that's so true I think a lot of founders think that their product is solving a certain problem but actually the customer might find it solving an adjacent or a completely different problem so it's really interesting and I think as founders you can be quite narrow-minded in terms of exactly how you want people to perceive you or consume you I mean it's just about like constantly being open-minded especially in that first year you're really just learning a lot from your customers aren't you? It's so true. And what I love about this framework is when you actually start by thinking about why the customer's hiring you or what job you're doing for them, you actually look at your competitor set really differently. What most people do is look at your competitor set being a product or a brand that has similar features to you or similar benefits. But actually, when you're looking at it from a job to be done, going back to the milkshake example, that job could be done by an audio book or it could be done by a healthy snack or it could be done by putting car phones in so that you can speak to somebody while you're sitting in traffic you know it's so many different things than just be your competitor being another milkshake and I think that means that you're really understanding your customer better so you can then talk to them so they actually listen and so that they actually resonate with what you're saying and think you know that brand gets me, they understand me and what my problem is right now and they're here to solve it for me and adds to that loyalty for new customers. Yeah, and that's so crucial in your first year, isn't it? You know, keeping those loyal customers returning and really feeling like, okay, this is a brand for me, this brand speaks to me. What an interesting way to think about milkshakes. I'm quite hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's all really fascinating and also speaks to a couple of different things for example like pivoting in your business in that first year being really willing to listen to the feedback that's all very important I personally with my company have completely changed our model just based on customer feedback and looking at the market but also if you want to receive all of that feedback and take it into a positive direction you need to be able to reach people and you need to be able to have that customer set that's going to be giving you a reason to do what you're doing so how do you find them? I do think that's a really good segue because you need to think about focusing and being effective with your marketing. What's important is to find this lowest hanging fruit, the audience out there that are already looking for a solution like yours. You don't need to convince them. They're actually already looking for that. So let's make it easy for them. We often look at niche audiences because if you speak directly to those people, you can really resonate with them. If you start with a small group, that could know each other or are connected to each other, people are more likely to be talking about the experience they've both had. And that then creates more conversation and this whole network effect as you're building that community. You can also then think about that as your case study or your playbook. I've got niche audience A, so therefore this worked, this didn't work. I know I want to do this again. We just need to tweak these Facebook ads or these things to go to the next audience. Uber did this really well where they went from city to city 
They started in one city, found out what worked for them, what didn't work. Then they would go with a refined plan to the next city. Mondo again did that with starting off very much around Shoreditch in East London and then going to university after university and really refining that that plan and and getting that army of supporters in the first place. You know, if you try and talk to everybody, nobody listens. If you try and speak to somebody specific, they're there and they're answering you. And do you think that that takes, I guess, a little bit of trial and error? I think I'm speaking from personal experience. I think we thought, for example, if we did a few Facebook ads to this audience, it would hit, but it doesn't always do that. So what would your advice be, I suppose, for someone who's trying to find their niche if they're not quite sure? And especially if it's a new product, it can sometimes be a little unclear until you actually find it. Yeah, great question. So I think the way that we tend to do that research is we start off looking at sort of macro trends. So what information is out there and what is general behaviours and setting some hypotheses that we think could be right. And then just going out and talking to people. So we tend to do lots of qualitative interviews. So actually just picking up the phone and speaking to people, asking people, networking so we find those right people and just having deep conversations about what's their general behavior around it, what's their need, where do they feel they're lacking at the moment with their current solutions. Obviously from a startup point of view, a lot of the survey platforms are quite expensive but we use some platforms like testingtime.com or Maiden Surveys, Dscout, which really help us quite cheaply be able to get out to a greater number of people and to a defined audience to start to understand there's lots of ways to start to test those messaging as well so actually Facebook although you know it isn't going to be the be all and end all what's quite good about it is that you can test a number of messages against each other to see which one's resonating best with that audience so it's quite good with small amounts of money to start testing if you don't already have that base audience that you can go to Sounds like we need to sort of constantly be questioning our assumptions with your Uber example, what worked in one city might not work in another. So you've then got to almost try the process over again. For me, when I started out, I spoke to a lot of women about their bras and I would always listen to their complaints. And quite often someone would talk to me about a problem they had with their bras, which to me sounded really niche, but I didn't want to disregard it straight away because potentially that's something I might come across time and time again it just wasn't relevant in my life I think it's crucial to constantly be open-minded it's something we have to force ourselves to do sometimes right we all have our biases yeah yeah totally and it's asking the right questions as well you know if you ask somebody Mm. what they want it's just human nature to answer is something that they've already seen and something that's already out there whereas if you ask them about their current behaviors their current problems they're facing with their bras then they're more likely to give you those problems that you can then build your solution around you want to be repeating what they're saying and using the words and language that they're using because that will resonate with them better as well so there's constant ways to learn we use just because I'm a tool geek I'll I'll give you this (laughs) we use otter.ai which is a transcription tool so whenever we have interviews or these conversations we're always just transcribing them so that we can then play back the exact words they're using and really think about how they could work within our our outward going communications as well that's a brilliant tip yeah 
and just keep talking, keep listening. You will have your fans that will answer every single question and every single survey that you put on social or you put on your newsletter. We love those people. <laughs> we absolutely love those people and we need them. But also it's good to get out to that wider audience as well and to take the people that are closest to you with a slight pinch of salt because they might not be reflective of your wider audience. All these conversations, as well as thinking about how to reach those wider people that aren't quite as vocal, will really help you to get that bigger picture of how you can go from, you know, your hundred to a thousand to ten thousand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that came up for me in this conversation is when I was at uni college to the American listeners I was interviewing people about my business concept and I learned from class something that we should do is say that we're doing a survey on behalf of someone else not as if it's our company because if you say I'm thinking of doing this thing what do you think about it people are going to just be like oh love it that sounds great so proud of you but if you're like I'm working for this company and they want me to ask about this people feel a lot more comfortable just sharing their actual thoughts about it yes so true so often we when we're sending out the surveys especially if it's the first time we'll always use type form because it's anonymous and it does mean that you just get a little bit deeper into really what people are thinking what people say whether they'll recommend it to a friend Another thing that I was thinking about through through this conversation was something we did with our first 30, 50 people that purchased Hostel Card was we sent them an email right after and we said, renew your Hostel Card next year for free if you fill out this survey. And it was to get all of the information about why did they get it? What do they think could be better? And my favorite responses were the negative ones because the people that weren't happy with their product, they really helped us figure out what we needed to work on and where we needed to focus to improve. Yeah. So say for you, Alex, if you know that people put something into their basket online, but then they don't purchase it, mm-hmm. actually asking them in a, in a polite as possible way, but why, you know, could you let me know, is there anything we can do um, better in the future? Actually, that feedback is so rich because it's it's really helping you to understand what it is that stopped people converting and yeah. tweaks that you can make to your process to actually help that, help yeah. them convert in the future is really, really powerful information. Absolutely. You know, I learned so much the other day from watching a friend of mine buying a bra on my website on her phone. She was like, oh, I really want to grab a bra. Let me pull up your website. And we were sat next to each other having a coffee. And I was fascinated by how she interacted with my website because obviously it's going to be completely different to how I interact with it because I built it and it's my brand and so I'm not very good test case for how you interact with my website so I was really interested you know my cookies pop up my discount pop up how she interacted with it how quickly she closed those tabs how quickly she wanted to move on to the cart there were so many learnings from that I mean I do think there's an element of kind of just get your hands dirty a bit in the beginning and do those things like speak to people have them buy something on a website whilst you're watching reach out to customers Customers, even just give them a ring if you can just to say what was it about you that drew you to my website in the first place but didn't actually purchase so it's just that constant learning and, and you know we're 18 months in and things have changed what I thought about in the beginning is not necessarily how people come across my brand today so you've got to continue that cycle really yeah and you know the multi-million multi-billion 
dollar brands will all have huge testing teams that are testing your products and your websites constantly on every single platform with every single device. So as startups, when we don't have the luxury of having, you know, a hundred people being paid to test it, we need to go out and test it ourselves. And it is, especially the language we use, we think it's very obvious that journey of how to buy something it is often as simple as it not being clear where to go next or having the wrong instruction on a page or something that's not clear on a page that is mm-hmm. stopping people it's mm-hmm. it it's brilliant to be able to do that and to have that honest feedback I think is just invaluable yeah I mean it's almost bringing together what you mentioned at the beginning which is you need to find out what your messaging is, how to really reach people. And then if they click on your website, that message needs to be front and center. It's really clear what you do and exactly how to buy it. I mean, just like for me, a super basic example, I built my website. I was really happy with how it looked. I built it on my big widescreen monitor at home. 87% of my customers buy on mobile. I mean, just like for me, a super basic example is I built my website. I was really happy with how it looked, um, but I built it on my big widescreen monitor at home. 87% of my customers buy on their mobile. And Mm. I hadn't truly considered the mobile experience of my website. So (laughs) immediately that was something that I needed to edit in order to get people to be clicking through and seeing the same images. Yeah, it's so good. You know, there's a really good tool called Hotjar and it shows where people are clicking and where people are hovering. So on websites, it's really useful because it can show if if you see a bit, it basically has big red spaces where people are really trying for something that's not working or not clear. You see this frustration where lots of people have been trying to click on something and it's not working and that's why they're leaving. And so being able to have that understanding means you can quickly change something but yes mobile optimization is really clear google analytics will tell you where most people are buying on that basis of devices like formats etc and that really helps to know what you should be building for yeah and i think we're talking about all these tools we're talking about all of these ways to measure people's interactions with your website and your brand and what they think of it But we also still need to get it in front of people. That's always going to be an important part of this. So I'm curious about your ideas and thoughts for the initial getting your brand out there. So we talk a lot about dancing on other people's dance floors. And what we mean by that is finding partners that have similar audience to you, but aren't competitors. And in that way, you can have mutually beneficial partnerships because you can help each other and promote each other. And that might be as simple as, you know, appearing on each other's podcasts or doing an Instagram live together. It might be that you're going to do a co-branded event or a product line, but really thinking about actually how can I create partnerships and dance on all these other dance floors and get in front of other audiences. It's not costing me any money, but actually it's building much stronger brands because where you appear with with another brand that people already trust, that trust rubs off on you. And therefore it's similar to a friend referring. And that's the same with influencers as well. And although influencers can be expensive, it's about how you can utilize them and how you can build those relationships with them. At Yolt, we did a lot of influencing the influencer. So we talked to them and understood what actually they needed and what they were looking for and went out and helped to train them up 
to support their conferences to bring them all together and help build that part of it and what we got off that was lots of organic mentions and lots of organic recommendations from them so it wasn't the same as paying for 50 influencers to talk about us in a very generic very forced advert style way it was actually spending the time to build relationships with them support them on their journey on their business and for them to then recommend us quite naturally when it came to the right point with their audience brilliant yeah in business these partnerships that you form can be a whole lot easier to obtain if you treat them like actual friendships or relationships I think that if you get to know somebody in your industry and really see them as a human being starting a company trying to achieve things and you want to help each other that can get you so far with hostile past conferences have been a really good way for us to get in front of people and then when we pivoted our business it meant that we were able to so much more easily have these people on our platform use their audiences and have our audience see their product so I completely agree with what you were saying there I think that's a really important point yeah everybody brings a different thing to the party right so if you were having a dinner party you wouldn't want everybody to bring the starters so even if you don't have a huge audience you could be bringing your knowledge or you could be bringing something else to that often pre-launch we also just encourage people to go and talk to people and say hey I'm just doing this what do you think about it and going back to asking for advice because actually it's a really nice thing as a first handout don't ask for anything just say I'd love to show you this I'd love to have a chat with you and hear back your thoughts because you're an expert in this and we'd love to make sure that we're capturing all feedback you know thinking about how do we build these long-term relationships and also just about influencers influencers don't have to have a million followers on tiktok they could be somebody in the office that everybody listens to and is well respected they could be your accountant and so thinking about actually understanding your customer and who influences their decisions and really then building those relationships so thinking about many many people versus just one big one you know because actually that's probably more realistic for a startup as well Mm. Yeah, I think I was quite intimidated by reaching out to people really early on. I mean, especially when you you still feel like you're such a nobody. There is a nervousness about sharing when you're just putting something out that you've built into the world and getting rejection and it's nervous reaching out to influencers. Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? It's mm. probably that they just don't answer your email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of putting yourself out there and learning to kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable in the beginning. I know myself, I resisted certain conversations and putting myself on camera was like is a good example of it. I didn't want to do a video of me. I didn't want to put a video out to my customers. But after a while of just talking about bras all day long, you, you do get used to it and then you realize the reaction really isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. <laughs> it's so true one thing that um PR experts always say is for founders you have to really drink your own Kool-Aid you need to show that enthusiasm and that excitement and that passion you have for your brand and what you're so the problem you're solving and although we might feel a bit shy and not want to really push it if you don't push it they're not going to know showing that passion and showing why you've given up your job or you've done anything else to push this and make this happen is so important because people are attracted 
to that passion and will get excited with you because they will see that and feel it too. If you wanted to get a bit of support as well, there's a lot of people that will give you some press training, ex-journalists that do um, do these sessions. Or I've had some from comedians actually as well. They're really good because they get you to stand up and and really start to project yourself and think about what's that key message I want to get across and, you know, break down those barriers of just awkwardness that we all feel or most people feel when they have to stand up and shout about themselves for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I think also when you realize the amount of good that can come from putting yourself out there, it's just so beneficial to do it because when we started Hostel Pass, the conference we wanted to get into was this hostel business conference which yes they exist <laughs> and we emailed the organizers it was in Amsterdam and I was in California and it cost like I don't know a thousand dollars and we would need to buy flights and for students it felt like quite a big thing to do and so we emailed them and we were just like we heard about this conference we're working on this new business idea we really want to help the hostel industry but we're students and we don't have funding yet and all this stuff they ended up paying for our flights and giving us free admission and giving us private accommodation at the hostel. <laughs> so no way, um, really, really, yeah. I think when you're a founder, you need to be able to pitch yourself and your business. And so that comes in handy when you're fundraising, but also in all of these other situations. And this was a perfect example of that conference led us to so many more connections. Yeah. Connections. We need to talk a lot about connections. Yeah, <laughs> it's that classic, isn't it? If you do nothing, nothing changes. So you have to do something and yeah. just getting out there and asking people. And I think it goes back to that focus. Be focused on what you want to achieve and what you want out of each thing. So mm -hmm. doing that bit of research and understanding what they're looking for and what their aims are. You know, before you go to any partner or you go to any journalist or any conference, what is it that they're looking for and how could you help solve their problems so could I come and talk to you about this and we know your audience are really excited about it and we've just launched this so we'd love to talk more about it is is such a great introduction and we'll get you know people opening yeah absolutely so there's so much to be done and quite often there's only one or two of you <laughs> and there's a limited number of hours in the day so help us understand how best you can build a 21st century sort of team or what to outsource and when to outsource to kind of help along that journey? Yeah, sure. So I think if you know what you need to achieve, then you can start building out, working out what you need to, how you're going to achieve it. So I think something that we're always recommending is if you can get somebody, if you do have a little bit of budget to hire somebody, then thinking about hiring somebody with a bit of experience first so if you have a certain amount of budget and that means that you can only afford to have them two or three days a week having somebody that's done it a few times will actually make it easier for you because they'll be able to come in and firefight and just get on with it I don't know if you know about the kickstarter scheme but the government ran a scheme where they'll help pay for the first six months of a graduate's wages and that is brilliant so then you can bring in that support 
once you have somebody in that really understands it and is doing it because that graduate will need training and need somebody to direct them as a founder you're already wearing another 20 hats Mm -hmm. so if you can take that hat off and give it to somebody else that can just make sure that you are growing and that you're building all those building blocks in the first place if you've got your website what do people do once they hit it how do you capture their information how do you convert them what do you say afterwards making sure you're looking after the first few customers and building those relationships with them before you're looking for the next thousand is really important and there are lots of freelance help you know lots of tools to make things easier and efficiency tools to help make sure you keep focused it's great like we have Alana who is our virtual assistant for most virtual assistants you can buy them in blocks of 10 hours so it's fairly great value and it means you can scale that support um, and they can do a lot of your know research and building and actually scheduling anything or writing your social posts for you it's a really good way of getting that support in but at a level that you can afford as a business until your revenue increases and then you can build up that team to be a, a bigger team as a company that's just starting out, there are an abundance of productivity tools and resources that can help you get to your first 1,000 sales. For example, you mentioned getting someone who's experienced on two days a week instead of less experienced for five days a week. Are there any productivity tools that you would recommend or like social scheduling tools, things that would maybe get rid of the hourly burdens that would take your time away from actually getting those sales or that would help you get those sales yeah more efficiently definitely and as as subscriptions can pile up I definitely look for the free versions as as much as possible we use Trello for all our to-do lists and for our teams both internally and um, the freelancers that we bring in to support us it's really great it's very easy to share it's free we use slack as a great communication channel it's much more easy to organize on whatsapp that you know, really helps to create that conversation. We use Otter, as I said, to transcribe everything so that we're keeping everything in touch. We use the Google package. So Google Analytics is free. We use all of our Google Sheets. What about emails? What's your email management? Do you know, I use Superhuman. So you do pay for it, but it's, I think it's £30 a month. What I love about it is that it helps me always organize my inbox so I get to zero every day. If you see an email that you know you need to answer, you can remind yourself. You can tag people as VIPs so you get a special inbox that is just for the people, Mm -hmm. my clients, for example, that I need to make sure I don't miss when they email me. You can send later. I've got two children, so I often work late at night or early in the morning. So you can schedule it so that it's appearing at a much more sociable hour or an hour you think most likely to get an answer. I also use Active Campaign for our CRM. It's very similar, Active Campaign, MailerLite or MailChimp, you know, 20 to 30 pounds a month can do your automated emails, can help segment your audience. And really, as you're getting going, are just as good as the more expensive options to make sure that you can communicate clearly and personally with your growing audience and your growing community. Great. If you had, say, 10 to 20K to just start your business, how would you spend it in order to best efficiently get 
that money back in terms of your first thousand sales? Ooh, would there be a strategy? Question. It's oh, it's quite a difficult one. I mean, would you spend it on Facebook ads? Would you spend it on Google ads? Would you spend it? It differs by the business, but on a really good email campaign strategy on a team member. So this obviously depends on your type of business and whether you're going for, you know, if it's a low cost per per purchase or it's a high high ticket item, it will change. But what I think you first of all need to make sure is that you have a brand that is resonating with your target audience. So there's no point spending that money on Facebook if you don't know clearly what the messaging is that they're going to react to because otherwise it's just wasted money. You know, you might get them to your website, but they're not going to convert. So I would carefully spend that on not not going out and spending £20,000 on your branding, but making sure, first of all, you have a brand that re- is going to resonate clearly with that specific audience. And then I'd spend the majority of that going out and thinking about quality, not quantity. If you can build 100 great relationships, that's better than having a quick flick by 10,000 people. How are you going to do that? You know, to, your conference is a great idea. Is it about just going out and having small events with those people and really growing that relationship with them? Or if you're very clear on your product and your audience, is it about going out and getting your product in the hands of those 100 people? And how are you going to do that? So I'd really focus that first £10,000 on building a small amount of strong relationships and having a brand that you know will resonate with people. And what about all the different platforms? I think it can be really overwhelming. This is kind of like Lucy Wolf and turn on how not to piss away your first 20 grand. Um, but a lot of a lot of founders do, you know, will have a tiny bit of initial funding or savings or whatever it might be. And am I doing Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram? Do I do them all? Do I do none of them? How do you figure out which platform works for you? It's such a hard one, isn't it? I think one of the things that clients struggle with the most is that they have so much helpful advice from everyone right they have the helpful advice from their investors their board their team their family their friends you know but I think what's important is if you understand who your audience is you can clearly work out where they are and where they want to be talking about a product like yours if you're talking about your bra you might be on LinkedIn, but you probably don't want to talk about your bar in front of your business audience, but you might want to. And in the same way that if you've got a business product, your audience might be on Instagram, but that's their time to be connecting with their friends and thinking about fashion or, or their house. They don't want to be talking about CRM systems. So being clear about where your audience are in the mindset where they want to be talking about a product like yours and going directly to them and only focusing on that one you know it's best to do one channel really well than four channels kind of okay and making sure that when you're in that channel you're thinking about that two-way conversation it's all very well that you go out and post but that's not going to get you anywhere you need to be going out and connecting with that audience every day and commenting on questions joining conversations that are similar to yours and really putting in that because that will actually build those relationships for you um, rather than focusing on just doing a nice post every day if you think that most of your organic posts on most channels is averages about five percent of your audience that will see that 
if it's on LinkedIn or any channel actually, it's really good to just get in the habit of just going on first thing in the morning for 15 minutes, going on at the end of the day for 15 minutes and just connecting with them. It's your target audience, it's your initial customers, it's other influencers, you know, going back to dancing on other people's dance floors, those partnerships that you're starting to build and being that support and that cheerleader for them as well and celebrating their wins, commiserating them when things go wrong. Being there and acting as part of a community mm-hmm. will really help to build up your profile and build up relationships. Yeah, I think I really underestimated that. I actually schedule it in my diary now to go on at the beginning of every other day and at the end of every other day to check those messages, check the comments. You know, for example, we had an influencer post about the bra go through every single one of those comments right see who's interacting who's engaging the kinds of things they're saying if someone says oh my god I love this I'd love to try you know send them a message get them to post about it but I think what you keep coming back to is connection that's what seems to be the underpinning theme about how to act as a business in your first year is like connection authentic add true value rather than sell it has to be it has to be about what value you can give to your customers not about and not expecting them to be throwing back that value at you because they Mm -hmm. they just won't there are so many different options there are so many different brands or shouting you know they'll they'll always be however big your budget is there'll always be somebody with a bigger budget so it can't just you're not going to win by by shouting the loudest you're going to win by being the most authentic and really answering their needs and connecting with them the best I think connection and consistency are the two big things to think about and just driving it home every single day really interesting yeah I think there's there's so much to to talk about there (laughs) just in terms of focus like we've Mm. spoken about so many different things and team and when to outsource and what platforms to try and it's overwhelming in your first year with like a small bit of money to just know what you should be getting up and doing every day especially if you've Mm -hmm. just quit a job where someone told you what to do every day I mean just mentally it's so interesting but that is topic for another day I think (laughs) Lucy, it's been so nice speaking to you today. I feel like there's so many takeaways for us and hopefully for everyone listening. In the spirit of bringing information to the people, do you want to just give like an overview summary of what we discussed today and what everyone can take away from it? Yeah, definitely. So firstly, I think being really clear on knowing what to aim for. You can't do everything and you don't have a huge team. So really focusing on those actions that are really going to make a difference to your business for the next three to six months and being clear so making sure that people know why they might want to buy your products or they hire you be clear on what job you're doing for them so that you can be very clear in your messaging you can be very clear in the channels you're going to be talking to them in and be clear on what you offer for them so that you resonate with them and bring them in making sure you're finding your lowest hanging fruit who are the first people that are going to be easiest to bring on board you know those we often talk about those people that are already actively looking for a solution like yours talking directly to them and not worrying about not talking to everybody but just being very focused on that is the audience we're talking to for the next three months so everything we're doing is talking to them and that then bridge is really easy to start building those relationships with your audience really early. Don't just think about this as a one-way 
conversation. This is a two-way conversation and relationships that you need to start building, whether that's with your first customers, your first partners, your first influencers, your community around you, you know, be really focused on connecting with people and listening so that you can learn and build a product and a service around them and their needs. And lastly, you know what you want to achieve, you know who you want to talk to, but make sure you have the right tools and the people around you so that you can actually achieve that and be realistic about what it is you need. And that might be bringing in somebody a couple of days a week to support you. Or if you're doing it yourself, how many tools can you use that are going to actually help make this process easier for you? A social scheduling tool. So you're only thinking about the post you need to do on a Monday morning um, and then you can spend the rest of the week focusing on building those relationships. But thinking about what is going to help you most and being really clear with those pennies you're spending because they build up really quickly. (laughs) Brilliant, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been truly insightful. Um, If anyone wants to get in touch with you and find out more about the Scale Up Collective, where can they find you? So you can find me usually on LinkedIn, but also Twitter at Lucy Wolf. But also if you can can find our website, if you Google the Scale Up Collective, we'll also be there. Lots of free tools. Come and join us on our weekly newsletter where we give advice and quick tips and ways to start building your business from scratch. And as an alum of Lucy's Scale Up Collective I can vouch for it 100%. Every week she brings in amazing experts and you also do some sessions with your co-startup founders and you chat about the problems you're having and you work through them together and it was a really great community to be part of and I was really grateful to have Lucy as a mentor so definitely check it out and thank you so much Lucy for coming on. It was great to have you. Thank you so much it's been a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Female Founders Weekly. Female Founders Weekly was created by myself, Sarah Weingust, the founder of Hostel Pass, and Alex Pletherow, founder of Freedom Underwear. You can find us on Instagram at Female Founders Weekly, on TikTok at Female Founders Weekly, and with any questions, you can email us at femalefoundersweekly at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Bye.